0: I'm not Dr. Awonke in church, I'm Awonke Mbangi, <laughs> uh, and it's my privilege this morning to be bringing the word, uh, hoping that you will open your hearts to what God has for us. Amen? Amen. Uh, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we open our hearts to receive for what you have for us this morning. Uh, speak to me, Father. Uh, may you remove any agenda that I might have, Lord. And just reveal your heart, your Father, to your people. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We are in week two of our series, Miracles, Let Him Be Known. And last week, um, we looked at the miracle at the wedding where Jesus turns water into wine. And one of my takeaways from that sermon was, You know, God cares about the little things, you know, a wedding, uh, people running out of wine in a wedding, and Jesus performing a miracle, turning water into wine. It seems in the bigger scheme of things and the struggles that people go through, such a small thing for Jesus to do, you know, as a first miracle, but it also gives us an insight about the heart of a father, that he is a good God that cares about every little thing in our lives. Amen. Amen. And this week we are reading from John uh, 4, um, verse 46 to verse 54, sorry. And uh, I would like us to turn our Bibles there. And I will actually start reading from uh, verse 45. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. Festival, sorry, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Amen? So you can go back um, to verse 45. So it says here they welcome him. And just to give a little background, this is now the second time Jesus is coming to Galilee. And the first time when he was attending the wedding, there was no welcome. Uh, Jesus had not yet been known before then. So something had changed between the second time he's visiting Galilee and the first time that he did. And yes, obviously, there was the miracle at the wedding. Some people would have recognized him from what he had done uh, in turning water into wine. But we get to also see that uh, it seems as if, apart from the first miracle that Jesus had done, there's other things that he had done previously. And uh, it also is indicated here in verse 45 that they had seen him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover, for they had also been there. And uh, Passover, just to give a small background, is a festival, a feast. That the Jews would celebrate from the time that the angel of death had passed over the, the doorposts uh, and, 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 and a word was released that the firstborn children would be killed. And so God had told them to slaughter a lamb and, and smear the blood in the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over the, the households of the Jews and, 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 and their children would not die. And so they celebrate this feast, and they would travel uh, kilometers to Jerusalem from different places within Israel to celebrate this feast. So it says here that they had seen uh, Jesus performing many miracles, so uh, in Jerusalem during the Passover feast. So we read, just going back, we read in verse in John 2 verse 23. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw him. Many people saw the signs he was performing, and they believed in him. So we see that uh, besides the, the first uh, miracle that he does at the wedding, there's also other miracles that Jesus had performed that makes him now become a prominent figure in his second visit. And I'm mentioning this because it will make sense Uh, As we move along with our uh, scripture. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. Many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Now verse 24 which is not up in the screen it says. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. For he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind. For he knew what was in each person. There's a bat there. So, many people believed in his name. So, there is a faith after Jesus performed these miracles. There's faith that is released in people's hearts. And uh, in Romans, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So, Jesus speaks And faith is released. So there is a measure of faith that most people who left the feast in Jerusalem left with after having seen what Jesus had performed. But Jesus has a but to this faith. He said, but Jesus would not entrust himself, even though people had believed in what he had done. It says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. Now, this gives us an insight on the omniscience of God. God is all-knowing. Jesus does not need a faith that does not lead to salvation. So, uh, I believe that Jesus is here trying to separate the hype of things happening when things like a miracle happens. A lot of the time when we see God intervening our natural world, there'll always be wonder and amazement. But what he's getting to is that, in the midst of that wonder and amazement, not all of those that believe what has just happened. Because when something happens right in front of our eyes, if for whatever reason, all the furniture in this room starts moving, right, and they fly without wings, we will all believe what has happened because it has happened right in front of our eyes. But I believe what Jesus is alluding to and his questioning or his comment seeming slightly harsh is that not all the belief that people have will result to a faith that leads to salvation. Amen? And, and, and here is the difficult part about this. or It's not necessarily difficult, but where we need to be careful is that me and you cannot be able to determine what kind of faith a person has. Is that person's faith going to lead to salvation or not? When we try to, or in an attempt to try to know such things, we will lead to, you know, failure. So it's not for us to know, it is for God to know. Amen? And, and an example of this kind of faith is, is given uh, by the Israelites, You know, I always like to use the Israelites as an example. These are people who had left Egypt, were led by God by a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of of, of fire by night. They had manna falling from heaven. Their clothes did not wore down. And yet still, they failed to enter the promised land. From Egypt to the promised land, it was meant God's desire. God's intention was that they travel for 11 days. An 11-day journey turns into a 40-year... It's not even a journey after 40 years. I don't know what it is. (laughs) It turns into a 40-year something, whatever you call it. All because they did not have the right kind of faith. And when Jesus says... He would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he was, for he knew what was in each person. So Jesus did not buy into the hype when he was applauded by the people, when he had healed the lame, when he had given sight to those who did not see. He didn't buy into that hype because he knew that not every single person that gave him applause or every single person that seemed like expressing what looked like faith in him led to salvation. So the Israelite salvation was to reach the promised land. They didn't do that. A whole generation died in the wilderness against the will of God because they failed to believe and take God at his word. And so I believe here Jesus is is referring to that. I remember Cass preaching on that story. And he says, even the spoons of the Israelites can testify of the goodness of God. Their furniture, their spoons crossed the Red Sea. They could, if they could speak, they could testify of how good God was. And yet still, they failed to believe him. So, so we see that there is a level of faith that does not lead to salvation. And Jesus is not so, what's the word, gullible, is it, to believe Everything he sees, all the smiles, all the applause, and all the respect they all of a sudden are giving him because of the miracles he had performed at the wedding and also the many miracles he had done in the Passover feast. I want to continue in verse 46 here. And then it says, once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to dying. Now, we see a royal guard who comes to beg Jesus. Uh, and, and what's interesting here is that excuse me, a royal guard begging his carpenter's son is no small feat. Remember, Jesus did not have a prominent status in society. He was the son of a carpenter. At this time of the story, his father has passed away. He did not go through any training by any prominent religious leader. So any level of prominence he got was through the workings of the Holy Spirit. So... And another thing to note, this is a man, the royal guard is probably serving under King Herod. King Herod is the one that uh, beheads John the Baptist, who was the cousin of Jesus. So a royal guard in those times, in that kingdom, should have been someone with access to resources. He should not be begging someone like Jesus. It's not a pretty sight in society. And um, you read the story... And you thank God that um, money cannot buy everything. Money does not buy peace, love. It does not buy loyalty. And in in this part of the story, it does not buy a miracle. We thank God that money does not buy salvation. And I'm not saying that because I don't have all the money in the world. (laughs) I'm just saying that because... There's something about tragedy and crisis that is able to humble our hearts and allow God to, to do a good work in our hearts. I remember a few years back, um, we, we were doing, I think, ministry in clinic, and I was surprised that actually in a private hospital, they would allow people, random people to come and say, hey, we're here during visiting hours. If there's any people looking for prayer, you no, know, that's what we want to do. We used to do it a lot in Greys and, and these other public hospitals, so I was quite surprised. And I realised that actually it's probably because there's never been a complaint against it. Because when people are sitting in their death beds, regardless of how much money you have and the best doctors and the executive medical aid you have, in that right in that moment all of those things cannot give you what you require. And so if there's any chance that a prayer by some random Christian could do that, you know, why not take it? So there's something about tragedy and crisis that brings us to the feet of Jesus. It's why most ministries of Christians are to the poor, you know, the desolate, you know, the the outcast. Because those kind of people are much more open to God speaking than some of us with, you know, access to a lot of resources. It's also important to mention that God does not make us sick so he can heal us and get all the glory it's it's also good it's very important that our theology does not you know we experience sickness because of a fallen world because we allowed sin to come into the world corrupt human beings and therefore we experience now sickness people used to live forever this thing called death was not there if you read from Genesis, you hear of people who lived until 900 and plus years. Those were the people whose seed was closer to Adam and Eve than it is to us. So there was some debris of that eternality that they had or they were when, they, when, the, when God breathed into them. Still left there. That's why they lived until 900 and, and so years. So, so, so sickness comes into mankind because we have allowed the devil... We have allowed sin into our lives. And it corrupts in more ways than words can describe. Cancer. You know, some people believe it's, very, it's something very demonic. You know? So there's all these things now that we are experiencing. Not because God has sent things to earth to inflict us. No. It's because we were given authority and power. And we allowed the devil. in, And he corrupts. And he kills. And he steals. And he destroys. But... In spite of all of that, God can still use all of these things that we experience to bring Himself glory and let Himself be known. Amen? I want to read and continue to verse 48. So, verse 48 says, Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told Him, you will never believe. And if you read that, the tone is very off. It sounds very harsh, to me at least, right? Unless you people see signs. This is someone who's begging for the life of his son. And the response to that begging, when someone is begging you, you tell them, no, no, don't stand up, stand up, what do you want? And you engage them on the matter they're about, right? That would be my normal response, or what I think would be a normal response. But we don't see that in Jesus. And it looks like he speaks to him as he is still begging. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And this tone is also still very similar to the tone that Jesus uses here in John 2 verse 24. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. It sounds very similar. It, 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 It gives an impression that Jesus is unimpressed with the faith shown by the people. Now, you can also read this and conclude that Jesus is against people coming to the faith through signs and wonders. That's another conclusion that you can easily arrive to. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you know, you, 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 you will never believe. It sounds like he's irritated as if people are only coming to believe because they first demand or want to see a sign or a wonder. And, and we know this is not true uh, because even when we read other parts of scripture, you know, the Bible celebrates the signs and wonders that God does. And I'm just going to read a few scriptures. There's Daniel 4, verse 2 and 3. It says, I am pleased to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are the signs, how mighty His wonders. Right? We read last week, about what Jesus did in, in Cana. And uh, verse 2, 11 from last week says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs to which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So we see that it is not all people that see these signs and wonders that Jesus does that are miracle seekers, if you put it, Some people come to a genuine faith of believing in him. And also Acts 14 verse 3 says, So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. So God confirms the message of the preaching of the gospel through signs and wonders. Lastly, Hebrew 2 verse 4 says, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. I read all of these to try and show that there's many and plenty parts in scripture where God has confirmed the preaching of his word through signs and wonders. So it is not that Jesus is against people coming to faith through seeing signs and wonders. Uh, Jesus is concerned about the type of faith the man is carrying. Is this a faith that leads to salvation or is the man just a desperate parent looking for help for a sickly child? And um, just to give more examples about this, I have a friend I was visiting in Joburg. We grew up together. Our parents are Christians, and he's not. So every Sunday without fail, he stays with his son. Every Sunday without fail, he takes, doesn't take, he prepares his son to go to church. So I was up in Joburg last year sometime, and he tells me, like, sometimes he comes home around five o'clock from his wild parties, and he decides, okay, I'm not going to, if I come home too late, early in the morning, I'm not going to sleep because I'm going to oversleep and then fail to wake him up. So I'll, I'll just stay awake until 7, wake him up, prepare him, and then take him to the next door neighbor's family to drive with him to church. Right? So when you, when, you, when you read or when you listen to him, there is a level or a measure of belief that whatever his son is getting or whatever the church has to offer is good. There's a measure of faith there because he grew up there. And then when he reaches the age of accountability, he chose to walk his own path, right? But it's not good enough for him to lay down his life, to leave his former self, to embrace what Jesus gives. It's not good enough for that, but it is good enough for him to send his young 10-year-old boy who he wants him to get all the goodness that he got as a young boy. Right? Another story that I can tell is I grew up in the township. And like many places, there were a lot of crusades that would come in different times in the township. And a lot of the time, the people leading these crusades were gifted men of God who moved in many signs and wonders. And when a crusade started, it would last about three months at a time, and then it would move to the next city. And so what would happen, or what I would notice, is that the families in our we you know, small township, everyone knowing each other, the families in our township that did not go to church all of a sudden started going to church during the three months of the crusade being in town. And the reasons are different. And I'm, I'm just making my own assumptions because I was too young to interrogate such things. But I believe maybe it could have been because there was a child who is caught up in a life of drugs and crime and through hearing the testimonies coming out of the crusade, one starts to all of a sudden think maybe I could get help for my sickly son. Or maybe someone is going through or suffering from a long or terminal illness, or there's an abuse in the household, or there's financial issues, whatever the issue might have been. But because of the words spoken, or the testimonies, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. So, from hearing the good news about, or the good testimonies about what had been happening, In the crusades, in the tent meetings, people all of a sudden started going. But as soon as the crusade stops, you then start seeing a dwindling in church attendance. So churches would be filled right up until this crusade ends because people are looking for spiritual homes. That was encouraged a lot because the crusade was not there to stay. So people would fill churches for the first month, the second month, And after three months of the crusade being gone, the same families or people who did not go to church started fizzling out or the graph started to normalize. Because there is people who get caught up in the hype of things happening and there is a kind of belief that does not lead to salvation. And I believe Jesus... In this story, his responses look very harsh, but he is actually trying to bring this point across and interrogate this. And so it's important that we, yeah, it's important that the faith that we receive from God or that we have in Jesus is a faith that leads to salvation. Another important thing here, or a thing that you could note, is that all throughout this interaction, um, Jesus does not even once ask about the son. He doesn't ask, uh, how long has he been sick? He doesn't ask, what is the sickness? He is interrogating, or he's focusing on the man's faith. And it's important point to note because we know that Jesus can heal the boy. The illness is not so much of an issue to Jesus than it is about locating the man's faith. And and this is important why? Because God cannot heal unbelief of an unwilling heart. The one thing Jesus cannot do is go against what he has given us, which is free will. God, in his wisdom, creates us such that we have the will to say no to him. When I was a young, impressionable believer, I would get so caught up in arguments about the Bible with my unbelieving friends because somehow in my foolishness, I thought just maybe if I brought today the perfect argument or the explanation about why they should get saved, just then maybe it will click and they will say, aha. And I did that for years. And I watched other people do it and I did it some more. And I realized, no, man, no, man, no, man. It's time to change strategy. (laughs) <laughs> and rather partner with the Holy Spirit. If someone is ready and ripe, I'll have those conversations. You know, the conversation starters who just want to disprove, they've heard something about Christianity, the scrolls of the Red Sea, or, or how the Bible was put together, or, you know, how there are some books that are, are not part of the Bible. What about those? They are hiding some conspiracy. You know, those kind of people. I have a lot of them. And so I would get into these things and I realised you oh, I've wasted so much of my time if I would count those hours of cell phone, WhatsApp conversations with these people, instead of just praying for them and their unbelieving hearts. Because they have free will to choose. That's why the Bible says no one will have no excuse. Because God, even the people, one of the arguments they use, what about the people in the jungles of the Amazon or the DRC who have not been infiltrated? You know those tribes that still live the way they've lived a thousand years? And the Bible has an answer to that as well, you know. God in his creation has made it explicitly known that there is a creator somewhere. So no one is to be without any excuse. Even when there has never been someone standing right in front of you to preach the gospel, no one will have an excuse. And, and, and I also believe, without a shadow of a doubt, in the justice. God is a God of justice. There is no one who is going to burn forever in hell without having had the opportunity to choose. And God, in his sovereignty, will appear to those people Just like he did with Moses and many other people in the Old Testament, where there was no church, he will appear to those people, give them a choice to choose, and it will be on them to deny him. And on that denial, then they will be held accountable for the sin in their lives. So there is no, you know, there is, and God is, and those things don't even worry me now because I know God is too big. He has a solution for that, and it's fair, it's over fair. There's no one who's going to stand and say, I was done by wrongly. No one, not a single soul. And I believe it doesn't just come once. Just like I was like my friend. I rejected God after having had or grown up to become a person who was responsible for my own decisions. I rejected Christianity. I rejected God and went my own ways. And there were many Christians during that season who preached or tried to preach. And I opened and clo- I, sorry, I closed my ears and eyes to them until eventually the seeds they had planted. So there's no one who's just said, I only had one choice or one time. No, God is a God of justice. God will be just in how he deals with each and every one of us. Amen. So Jesus wants to know if this man's faith will, is is this man's faith enough to move beyond just a miracle? Is it enough to move and, and start to see him as Lord? Not just another prophet, but actually start to see him as Lord, start to see him as the Messiah. Because this is a Jewish person he would have heard. So that's what Jesus is interrogating, I believe, in these somewhat harsh questions that we are hearing. And we read in verse 49: it says, The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. The man continues to to beg for the son, for his son's life. And, and Jesus tries. To continue as well to see, to make him see that the issue of the illness is not such a big deal. In verse 50, it says, Go, Jesus replied, Your son will live. And I like the remains' response or what is written here. It says, The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He took Jesus at his word and departed. I think it was Pastor Jacques, end of last year, I think, was saying, like, if we only did this, if we took Jesus at his word, if we did everything that God says, half or most of our problems would cease to exist. If only we would follow this simple but very difficult principle. Just take Jesus at his word or do as he says. So I like the man's response and... One of the indications that this man's faith was genuine or was leading up to be, being genuine is this kind of response. Because it says he took Jesus at his word and departed. And remember, he departs without a miracle. He hasn't seen a miracle. He's departing carrying faith. He's departing carrying the words of Jesus. His request was come. My son is there, he's sick. That was the man's request. And he departs without carrying a miracle, and we see that this is not just a miracle worker. This is not just this is not only just a sorry a miracle seeker. This is only just a, a, a desperate parent. You know, his desperation actually has substance. You know, his faith will not stop at the miracle. His belief will lead to salvation. And if you can help me here, what does Hebrew 11 verse 1 says? Faith is... Let's try it again. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is... So... He lives with the substance of a thing hoped for. He lives with faith in his heart and he lives carrying the the words of Jesus. And in verse fifty one to fifty three, we see another indication that tells us that this man's faith or belief in Jesus has substance. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole family, so he and his whole household actually believed. So... After the miracle, when all is now good under the sun, it says he and his whole household believed. And they would have seen the boy progressively getting worse and worse and worse until he's now at his deathbed. And so in conclusion, uh, signs and wonders are God's demonstration of his mighty power. And this demonstration is there to bless us, but also to advance the kingdom of God. There are people who will not come to faith without seeing signs and wonders. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Just two people I think of in the Bible. The one... We've given him the name Doubting Thomas. And Thomas is one of the disciples. Jesus appears to the disciples after he has risen. Thomas is not there. He leaves. Thomas comes. The Other disciples tell him that Jesus has risen from the dead. He says, no way, as I think I would have said myself. He said, the only way I will believe what you are telling me is if I get to put my fingers through the nails and also my hand, I think, through his side. In another meeting, Jesus appears. And then right there, Thomas is in awe. And Jesus says to him, he doesn't call him Doubting Thomas. He actually says to him, go ahead and put your fingers through my wounds. If that is going to help you believe, then go ahead. Because what's most important is that we get people to believe in Jesus. Amen? And then he goes on to say, Blessed are those who believe but have not yet seen. That statement does not disqualify those who genuinely have a desire to believe but they still need to see something more. I think we've used that statement as a weapon for us who believe and have not seen much. That is not a statement we use to disqualify people who actually have something, who who desire more because they want to have a genuine faith. They don't want to be seated and clapping hands while inside... They're dead. They don't want to be phony. They don't want to be fake. They want to be genuine. So they're crying out to say, God, show me more so that I can take two or three more steps forward in order to believe. The other person is Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of the religious leaders who comes to Jesus privately and is struggling with the idea that we can be born again. How does a man crawl back to, the, to a mother's womb as an adult? Because Jesus was preaching that we need to be born again. He's struggling with this idea of being born again. And Jesus goes on to engage Nicodemus. He doesn't disqualify the questions that he has. And so if there's anything to take away here is that... Um, some people need to see miracles in order to believe. Now, we live in South Africa. We live in Africa. As I close, we need to redeem miracles. We need to redeem signs and wonders. They have been used to profit individuals. They have been used to, to rob people. People are hurting. You talk about a miracle, people get, uh, you know, in between, or they get iffy, they get, you you know what I mean, right? Because of the lived experience that we've been through, people have been hurt in the name of miracles. So we need to redeem that. We need to, we can't let the enemy have the last say. Some of us, there are people, there are churches that have built a theology around the fact that miracles no longer exist in the present age. And when we read our Bible, that's not consistent. That's not congruent with the gospel. That's not consistent with the Old Testament. So we we can't agree with that. Some of us who see it in the Bible have slightly closed the door to that reality or that characteristics of God because of the things I've just mentioned. So as I was thinking about what to pray for to earn the service, I really felt like we need to redeem miracles. We need to pray into God, into that character of God to, for us to see to come alive more in our lives so that it can bless us, and also advance the kingdom of God. Sometimes you have prayed for a loved one, and they didn't get better. They actually died. Those are the questions we wait to ask God when we get to heaven. Can't tell you why. Every time we call sincerely in the name of Jesus, things don't happen. I can't. I don't have a, my, it's way above my pay grade. <laughs> I, I don't I really don't, but what I, I know is the Bible says, you know it did not only die that, you know, for our sins, but so that we can have health and abundance. And so we continue praying. And so I want to: We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.hisspeoplepmb.se. and for more of our messages visit our YouTube and SoundCloud channels as well as other podcast platforms. If you would like to contact us, please email us at hispeoplepmb at gmail.com or send a message to 061-452-0877. To join us for in-person services, visit us at 154 Birker Road, Scottsville, Peter We hope to see you soon. God bless you.